Reading, short and deep. Hi, I'm Jesse, and I'm Eric. And today we're reading short and deep, "Just a Dog" by Charles L. Funnell. This is uh, from Railroad Man's Magazine, June 1916. I was telling you, Eric, that uh, I'm well-versed in this very strange genre of magazines for railroad men. Uh, when I was processing this magazine, I was looking through it, and I found all sorts of interesting things. Um, this is a magazine for people who were in railroading or wanted to be in railroading. Back in the early 20th century, you know, radio was just coming in, 1916, it's it exists as a technology, but it's not something that's in everybody's living room. There's no television. Movies exist, but they're all uh, at the movie theater. So if you want to get your evening's entertainment or want to have a something to read on the bus home, Pulp Magazine is where it's at. They're cheap. They have lots of stories, and there's sure to be something for you. Every kind of industry, every kind of cultural dynamic, every kind of person under the sun who can read, and there's a lot of people who know how to read at this point, needs something to pass the time. You don't want to just read the newspaper. You want some entertainment. And so if you're a railroad man, why wouldn't you want to read about railroad men (laughs) doing railroad things? And it isn't uh, a fiction magazine wholly. It does have a lot of fiction in it, but it has a lot of articles about the history and the technology and the future of railroading. But I get the sense also from reading it that it's it's going to have a lot of people who want to be in the railroad industry. Just like when I was a kid, I wanted to be an airplane pilot, and I read all about airplanes. There was, in this era, there was lots of magazines devoted to flying and your career in the new technology of aircrafting and you could build them and you can build them out of the magazine with little plans and such but you could also read about these air fighters from world war one and all sorts of exciting things that were happening all over the world in the designing of aircraft this is true for practically every part of society uh, as you well know, Eric, there was a uh, magazine called Electrical Experimenter <laughs> with an uh, editor who was uh, well into this idea of experimenting with electricity, making your own radio, making your own television, actual plans. This is before broadcast television was really a thing. In the 1920s, even, they were building televisions, mechanical televisions, and it was an exciting industry. In that issue, uh, or in those issues, the the uh, I- immigrant uh, editor also wrote fiction, which uh, we have now started called science fiction. I believe you are well versed with a particular one I'm thinking of. Yuko uh, Gernsback, who started Amazing Stories. The first issue was April 1923. Indeed. And and one of the things that's serialized in Electrical Experimenter and then gets reprinted in, I think it's Amazing Stories, is uh, Ralph124 
C one plus. Is that how it goes? No, no, no it's it's Ralph one two four C four one plus. Right. One two. Uh, that the the number is important because the last line of the book is a pun based on the name, so you have to right. get it right. Right. And that was nineteen twelve, I think, mm-hmm. when it was serialized. And and the idea of you know this ex, these exciting new technologies of the twentieth century. Um, you know, obviously railroading had been around for a while, but it was still pretty exciting because it had the power to move things across continents, just in the way that ship ships and zeppelins can move things across the ocean or the air. Uh, uh, railroading was a, a business that had a lot of legs. <laughs> a lot of people were involved in it. And, or at least wheels. Yeah, and so uh, we we we, uh, you know, today if you go around asking people if they want to be a a train engineer, they won't even know what you're talking about for the most part. Trains exist, and the industry is still there, but there isn't this excitement. And so, I think that's where a poem like this comes from. It comes from that idea of like, this could be for me. I could be doing this. I could be hanging out with these people. I could be involved in this amazing new technology that is so powerful. And as, you know, a little boy, what do you what do you want? You want a, a dump truck, a little toy dump truck or a fire engine, something that can really move. But as a spectacle, in the terms of machinery, there isn't really anything more powerful or more romantic in a certain sense than uh, an engine, its tracks, and the train behind it. So I, I see the appeal, even though it's not something personally I'm deeply uh, romantic about. I can see why so many people were. Well, I think that's a, that's a terrific uh, explanation of the appeal for this magazine as a magazine, as a continuing, um, the word magazine means storehouse, uh, means a gathering place, magasin means a store in, in French, um, uh, of things put together that fall under the one heading of the excitement that one gets from this potent technology uh, for the magazine as a whole. Mm-hmm. You can see that in the names of the features, you know, the, as, as you make available to us on the PDF on our website, um, the table of contents lists fiction, features, departments, mm-hmm. and miscellany. And the, what we're going to be discussing in specific today comes from the miscellany. But if you read the name of the features, standardizing the nation, mm-hmm. conquering the Suisun sinks, from flagman to president. Yes. Railroad time and timepieces, old times with Morse men, meaning Morse code, inspiration on the rail, the railroad of the future. How big a man is the boss? Engineer, now congressman, speeding the milk to New York, the chief clerk at court. And a few others. Mm-hmm. Just the titles tell us about the excitement you're talking about. I think that is a terrific backdrop. But I've got to say, that's not how I read the particular thing we're talking about. So we're no. in an interesting set of uh, discussions here. No, the the this poem by uh, Charles Loomis Funnel is his first um, that I can find. There is a list of his 
writings, um, or at least a good chunk of his writings, on um, a website called PhilSP is how I think of it. Um, it's, a, it's a database for all of the authors in the pulp magazines. It's not complete. It's always being updated. Um, but for Charles Loomis' uh, funnel, we have Just a Dog, first published in Railroad Man's Magazine, June 1916. And then he gets uh, poems for the next um, year and a half uh, in Railroad's Magazine, Railroad Man's Magazine. Then he gets some in Muncie's near the end of the World War I. And then we finally have an article in 1920. And... I think he probably has a much bigger career than this, um, but it might be in books as well, because I've seen some evidence of some collections or something. But as a first pass on this particular poem, I thought Charles Loomis Funnel probably was a railroad man, given this story seems too real to be a lie be wholly created what do you think well he very well maybe he could be um sure how about if we read read the poem Mm -hmm. and then uh i'd like to hear your thought i i well we'll see shall i yep please okay just a dog that dog He owns the office and the chief dispatcher's room. He's the pal of every trainman on the line. He has general supervision of the work of this division, and the meals he gets are just as good as mine. About a year ago, we found him. He was looking pretty sad because the porter on a pullman kicked him out. He had somehow gotten aside, but they wouldn't let him ride, so he stood and cocked his head one side in doubt. When he saw us boys, he wiggled and began to wag his tail, so we took him to the trainman's smoking room. While he wasn't real good-looking and had no pedigree worth booking, still his happy wagon tail just knocked out gloom. The boys all got to like him, and they taught him lots of stunts. He could throw a lighted paper on the floor, and he'd douse it with his feet, pounce right on it like twas meat. Gee, I never seen a dog like him before. One day when we was waiting till twas time to get aboard, our dog came in with one paw held up high. We found blisters when we looked. Man, his paw was nearly cooked. But when we bandaged it, he never blinked an eye. We wondered where he got it till we heard the super yell. He found his paper basket nearly burned. A fool and a cigar were the reasons for the char, and the dog had pawed it out as he had learned. That dog, he owns the office and the chief dispatcher's room. He's the pal of every train man on the line. He has general supervision of the work of this division, and the meals he gets are just as good as mine. <laughs> I, uh, this is why I'm thinking is it's for aspirational train men. You're a young boy. Your dad came back from his train job. He's got this magazine. Pick it up, sneak a look at it while he's, you know, out smoking. <laughs> and uh, boy, isn't it exciting? You could work in this industry where fire is under control and harnessed, 
and you know there's all these special jobs the porters and the, the uh, engineers and the latchmen and all the different jobs station agents right and once you get on the moving train there's no there's no stopping it but it all has to go smoothly and so this dog who we don't know where it came from found its home the opening and closing stanzas so familiar uh he has general supervision of the work on this division and the meals he gets are just as good as mine it's all like they're on one team even this dog but it's also kind of a horror story <laughs> right this dog almost burned to death but it saved everybody some foolish ninny threw his cigar in a basket full of flammables and the dog had to do its job that it had been taught i could i can imagine that getting burned on a you know, engine would be like a fairly common occurrence like you know the way s sailors get rope burns i think uh, engineers would get a lot of uh engine burns just by being being near all this hot hot metal and here we've got a dog who's our our sympathetic person in this story the narrator we don't uh. know who he is but the dog is is he's on the team he's part of the train wow i hear you jesse and i wouldn't even be surprised if charles l funnel had we ever had the chance to talk with him, might have agreed with you. But I read this radically differently. Let me hear. This poem is published in Railroad Man's Magazine in June 1916. It is indeed aspirational, and I would be willing to bet you that Virtually all of the readers of this magazine, or at least the purchasers of this magazine, we could find leftover copies anywhere on the train, the way we can find newspapers on the subway. Mm -hmm. uh, the purchasers of this magazine, I will get bet, were all white. Oh, sure. The, the dog snuck onto the train, but the porter kicked him out. Yep. This is 1916. The only job on the actual train itself that a black man can fulfill is that of Porter mm -hmm. because America at this time is used to seeing blacks as servants, especially at this time, 1916 is saying. the height of American racism. People worry about racism today. You don't know racism until you, you get into this period, even like 1890 is a lot less racist than 1916. It is the height of American racism. It's everywhere. In a recent book called Cast by Isabel Wilkerson, um, she argues that one of the key points of having blacks as the lowest caste in American, in American economic and social life is that everyone else gets to look down on them. Yes. It's a terrible, horrible thing. This dog sneaks onto the railroad and the porter wanting to maintain ex at least whatever shred of dignity he can have. The porters were all male, um, kicks the dog out. 
But what is what happens when the dog is found by the white men? Because right? all these other people, the division and so on, they're white men. Mm-hmm. All right. What what do they do? They teach him to chuck and jive. They teach him an incredibly dangerous trick. Yeah. No other dog could do it. They teach him how to put out the fires with his hand, with his paws. And when they see it and they want to tend to the wounds that he's done because he is trained into doing that kind of thing, they marvel that he doesn't say a word. Just as right through the 1960s, medical schools promulgated the notion that blacks don't feel pain as much as whites do. When when the narrator says, and the first stanza is repeated at the end, he has general supervision of the work of this division. That's clearly ironic. Yes. Dogs don't have supervision of anything. But the meals he get are just gets are just as good as mine, meaning this dog eats as well as a white man. Mm-hmm. I would point out that in 1925, that's nine years after this was done, nine years, seven years after the end of World War One, eight years um, and remember, the U.S. hasn't entered World War One at this point. That's right. We're still isolationist and we're just doing our own racist stuff. Right? Lynching's going on. It's terrible. Right. 1925, A. Philip Randolph organizes the Brotherhood of Sleeping Car Porters, which is the first predominantly black labor union in the history of the United States. 1925, the Brotherhood of Sleeping Car Porters, struggling to find some kind of solidarity, struggling to find some kind of economic strength in a completely white-dominated world. The porter in this poem kicks out the dog because he's got to have something lower than he is. Mm. But the whites, nah, they don't make a distinction. They're happy to elevate him because He's even happier than them darkies who are singing from Massa back on the plantation. Mm-hmm. And if they get he gets hurt, why? We just make a pet out of him. And we show how much we like him. Like a house black. Of course, it's a different word that they use than black. By letting him eat the same food we do. Mm-hmm. Not at the same table, of course. He gets the scraps after we're done. I don't know if Funnel saw this as a critique or even as an examination of race and class relations in a in a country that is supposedly connecting north and south through the rail system. That technology of the future you talked about is supposed to make us all go for the more united states Mm. that lincoln said he was trying to preserve that we should in fact get beyond slavery and racism we should be able to overcome caste distinctions but this poem shows us that 1916 as you say the height of racist terror this is a poem i think that only can sound happy if you read it as a self-satisfied white man 
and don't even understand what's going on beneath the surface. Yeah, I, I don't I don't expect that uh, Funnel was um, bucking anything by uh, mentioning this, <laughs> the fact that it was a porter who kicked the dog out. I think that it it's not ironic. It's not um, to highlight. I think that the, what we're seeing is an artifact of this period, but but there is this evidence that supports your reading, and that is the title, Just a Dog, But He Eats the Same as Me. Right? Yep. We treat him the same. We treat him like an equal. We treat him, in fact, as a supervisor. But this is this is a common sort of thing that people do in difficult circumstances. You know, military mascots. There's... Um, I read a lot of magazines from this period, and one of them is The War Illustrated. And um, one of the things they don't show you in that is a lot of dead bodies. They don't show a lot of graves. They don't show a lot of dead bodies. They don't show people in distress. They show uh, sailors, soldiers, Marines. They show all sorts of military men at rest, waiting, bored, looking forward to things, making fun, writing articles for the local newspaper. And you'll see a lot of situations where some Canadian soldier is playing with his mascot or some British soldier is playing with the the troops' mascot. And there's these animals sort of isolated and out of their wilderness that have been adopted as a kind of mascot for the unit. It, it it gets so crazy. Um, in in World War II, there was a uh, I, I'm trying to remember the army. They had a um, a bear in their unit, and uh, you know they would do all sorts of things to make sure that the mascot could get to go with them. Yep. The mascot could uh, was enlisted and became a corporal, got promoted, right? All and carried ammunition and. All the stuff they do to justify keeping this creature with them in the hard times. But it is all a distraction. It's all a distraction against the horror that is the war. Now, in this case, the horror is not riding the rails or working on the railroad. I'm sure that was tough, too. But the horror is all around you in that it's a super racist society. And one way to not feel the pain of seeing other people in pain and acting in painful ways towards others is to distract yourself and to make up little stories. And that's exactly what we have here. This is a story about a train dog, um, but it tells us much more about the people and the situation than this particular dog. I agree. I think you're right to point to the title. Just a dog, once we thought this through, it could be just a man right it right even even if you're in favor of of recognizing the moral worth of the other it still comes from a racist viewpoint as for example rudyard kipling you know when he says you know you're a better man than i am gunga din right right i mean it why would you even have to say that in fact that's a very similar poem in in tone Given yes, uh, and it, in it, fact, in rhythm, in in in, in rhyme scheme and rhythm. Yeah, it, it's it's a bit longer, 
but it's got that same, you know, we live in a racist world. On the other hand, this guy who I'm super racist against, he's stronger than I am. And so he's having it both ways, right? The, the, the white man's burden in that case is we have to go there and do all this hard stuff. On the other hand, some of these people aren't that bad. They, you know, they can take a lot of pain, as you were yeah. pointing out, right? And that's what happens in this case. The dog takes, takes pain at a game that the, you know, the unthinking smoking men are doing on their break. What they do? They throw a match to the ground and the dog puts out the fire. Uh, fun game, guys. But, you know, I, I agree with you, right? It's the thoughtless, the thoughtless destruction of the whites that happens here. But it's also, again, just as just a dog means also something else that's unstated, there's a lot of unstatedness here. Sure. The narrator, who's so happy about this dog, he sees that we found blisters when we looked. Man, his paw was nearly cooked. But when we bandaged it, he never blinked an eye. Happy about this. That stanza comes after the one that says he douse it with his feet, pounce right on it like twas me. Gee, I never seen a dog like him before. At the time at which he's writing this poem, at the time at which he says, I have never seen a dog like him before, praising the dog, he already knows that the dog's feet have been burned badly. Yep. Because he had been trained to do this trick by white men who want to see him risk himself for their own entertainment. He knew that. And even then, when he tells us they found that he was so hurt, did he say anything to indicate that it was wrong to teach the dog to do this? Nope. Not a word. So I think once we understand this, on rereading, this poem really resonates amazingly about the insensitivity of the speaker and the the horror of the kind of world this is. Uh, if you would be willing, Jesse, I got to read it once. I think it's worth thinking it through with that, these thoughts behind them. All right. right? Big uh, technological future, but what world is it a future from? Would you like to do it this sure, time? Sure, let me give it a shot. Just a Dog by Charles L. Funnel. That dog? He owns the office and the chief dispatcher's room. He's the pal of every trainman on the line. He has general supervision of the work of this division, and the meals he gets are just as good as mine. About a year ago, we found him. He was looking pretty sad, because the porter on a Pullman kicked him out. He had somehow got inside, but they wouldn't let him ride. So he stood and cocked his head one side in doubt. When he saw us boys, he wiggled and began to wag his tail. So we took him to the trainman's smoking room. While he wasn't real good looking and had no pedigree worth booking, still his happy wagon tail just knocked out gloom. The boys all got to like him, and they taught him lots of stunts. You could throw a lighted paper on the floor. And he'd douse it with his feet, pounce right on it like it was meat. Gee, I never seen a dog like him before. One day when we was waitin' till twas time to get aboard, our dog came in with one paw held up high. We found blisters when we looked. Man, his paw was nearly cooked, 
but when we bandaged it, he never blinked an eye. We wondered where he got it till we heard the super yell. He found his paper basket nearly burned. A fool and a cigar were the reasons for the char, and the dog had potted out as he had learned. That dog? He owns the office and the chief dispatcher's room. He's the pal of every train man on the line. He has general supervision of the work of this division, and the meals he gets are just as good as mine. Yeah, he's really the pal, all right. <laughs> it's uh, uh, This is why I love reading old magazines. The world that they inhabit is full of humans, but they live in a world that's different in ours, not geog- geographically, but psychologically. So when we get in close and spend time with these people in their world, it's like visiting an alien planet. I don't have any kind of experience where everybody's smoking all the time and people are throwing papers lit to the floor to have dogs douse them. That's why I'm thinking this is real. It's just so bizarre. But of course, people do all sorts of strange things. Today, it's impossible to explain, if we went back in time, what streamers are to a person from 1916. But what we do makes as much sense to us as what they did to them. What we're missing, though, is that sort of self-vision. And I feel like I can really get that when I read these old poems like this. It's a nice poem. It has this kind of, you know, easy flow. You compared it to uh, to Kipling. Kipling. I, I think that that's right. Um, but it also gives us a real insight into a world that really, you know, it's still out there, but it doesn't really exist in the way that it used to. And I like that. I, I like understanding and feeling what things were like for other people. It helps with empathy, I think. I agree. I think this is a poem which probably, given where it was published, was meant to be read and consumed and tossed. Yes. But here we are, 105 years later, And it turns out, there's always more to say. Thanks very much for listening. And remember, you can always freely access the materials discussed on these podcasts by going to sffaudio.com and clicking on the link for Reading Short and Deep. If you enjoyed this podcast, consider becoming a patron at patreon.com forward slash SFF Audio.